my name is Avi Haley, and I'm a rising sophomore. My intended major is environmental science, with a double minor in education in feminist and gender studies. I'm originally from the great state of New York, but I do love my new home, Colorado. I'm involved with several things on campus, such as being an admissions fellow, a public achievement team lead at North Middle School, co-chair of the Education Coalition, treasurer of BSU, a member of SOMOS, and being a student caller at Dialogue, which is the campus call center. I'm also incredibly grateful to be a Brit Scholar, and this year I'm looking forward to being a mentor and helping out in that facet. So today I was given the pleasure of sitting in on the DEFRA session, whose main speaker was Yasmin Edding. She is both an amazing speaker, writer, storyteller, and just to give you a little more background on both her and the organization itself, Yasmin is an activist as well as a social worker, and she was one of the founding members of ADEFRA, which was a group started in the 1980s by black German women, and the purpose of the group was to unite and connect the black German community, all the while tying it into a black feminist standpoint. So truly amazing, groundbreaking, and wonderful stuff here in Germany. The session itself was truly amazing and tied beautifully into so many topics and areas of this course. For example, Yasmin focused heavily on topics such as identity, chosen families and communities, colorism, racism, and so much more. Everything she talked about was incredibly salient and very exciting to me. The topics she discussed were my main reason for applying to this course, especially when it came down to the discussion of identity. While she was speaking, I often found myself flooded with several questions, and I was astounded by how deeply I related to her story and the sense of oneness that this was able to foster. Everything she said was also so genuine. She shared both sides of her growth what was beautiful, and vice versa, what was ugly. And there was a power accompanied with this truth she shared, and how she chose to not only find her own truth, but then share it with others, so that they too could be empowered. I can gladly say that everything Yasmin both said and shared was exciting and long-lasting to me. So now I would like to give you the chance to listen to the wonderful legend herself. So here's a little clip where she'll tell you about growing up in Germany. Please enjoy. But how was it? I mean, since um, my father wasn't there, so I hadn't really like uh, role model or something or something or someone um, I could talk to about being black, how life is in the States. So, yeah. So, um, what I learned uh, about black people or the states is not <coughs> what uh, I really liked because crime and uh, you know lazy people, uh, drugs and the ghetto, Harlem, dangerous and so. Um, yeah. So and since my mother. I mean, she was just for her was just too much to deal with all this stuff. So I never asked her. I didn't want to, how to call it, uh, make her feel bad because um, when we went to school, my sisters and I, we were 
most of the time the only black in the class or in the whole school. So, and of course, the children and the teachers were often not very friendly or, you know, or said, oh, if, we had, if you had uh, won the war, you wouldn't be here and stuff like this. Um, and yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, what I did when people said something stupid or so, I mean, I was young, so I was, <laughs> I was fighting. What Yasmin said in the clip really helped me to better understand what it was like to grow up as a young black child in Berlin. I was definitely surprised by how so many of her experiences were similar to those of people in the U.S. Sometimes being both born and raised in America, you forget just how much you inhabit your own little bubble, especially when it comes to thinking and perspective. We tend to be more focused and centered on ourselves, so I was incredibly glad to hear from this new perspective that pushed back on everything I thought I knew. There were several aha moments that I experienced. It was crazy for me to think, wow, my own story can relate in multiple ways to someone who was born into a different culture and from a different country, as well as someone who was from a completely different generation. Furthermore, in previous feminist and gender studies classes I have taken in the past, we have discussed heavily the importance of people taking control of their own narratives, and this session was a perfect example. Yasmin was able to tell her own story in a way that kind of reminded me of oral histories. And while texts can be helpful, there is something almost magical about hearing someone tell their own story and how specific life events have profoundly affected them. When Yasmin was talking about her experience in school, that definitely stood out to me. In an educational way, it helped to further my knowledge and learning when it came to understanding what German school systems were like, especially for black school children at the time. In a more personal way, I was able to make some comparisons to my own life. I come from a predominantly white town in upstate New York, and in grades K-12, through I was often the only black student in my class. Luckily, I had a few of my siblings in the school. The majority of my friends also happened to be white. I never quite noticed growing up, or perhaps more accurately, chose not to notice because it was all I knew. But as I got older, I started to notice more and more and become more intentional with my interactions. Unlike Yasmin, I was able to go to my mother and ask her several questions. My mother comes from a line of strong black matriarchal women who are no strangers to passing down their history through pictures and word of mouth. It also helped that my mother was an Africana Studies major throughout college and was more than happy to share what she has learned. And this sharing was such a key part to me developing my own story. And I didn't realize until this session that knowing where you come from is actually a privilege. And to learn this was definitely humbling and something that I'm internally grateful for. definitely a power associated with knowing your own story and knowing where you come from which is why a lot of the time when different um, marginalized groups were colonized by other um, you know groups they made it their job to erase those histories because when you don't have ties to who you as a person who you are as a group it kind of over time makes you crumble and makes you more weak and accessible 
to being used by others. So in this next clip, you're going to hear a little bit more from Yasmin and the importance of knowing your own identity and how not knowing it can lead to some problems. He gave me this book and I read it and I was, wow, by blown because stories of black women growing up in Germany, like me, same, uh, almost the same stories. Because so far we were raised very, or lived very isolated, hardly in contact to other black people. And in fact, when I saw black people, I was, you know, hiding. Because whatever about black people, it was internalized racism, because that was I heard and read. So, so therefore, in the beginning, I was a little crazy. <coughs> Being able to identify yourself, especially when you are part of a marginalized group in a greater society that doesn't really accept you, is definitely important because being not able to rely on them, you have to be able to rely on your own self and your own people, which is also why it's incredibly important to be able to create these own spaces and groups where kind of you select your own friends and family to help build each other up because you know that's the only means of pushing forward and growing and in the next clip you're going to hear about you're going to hear about kind of more of the origins of a defra and how they began and some problems they had in the beginning when it came to building identity and how they pushed through that and how that helped them in the future where they hadn't had a lot of interaction with other black right. people and right. were struggling with some yeah. of the stories that they heard yeah, and about that, black people. Yes, and their identity. Well, I mean, even our two, how should we name ourselves? Because, you know, yeah, all, this, yeah, all the, the N-words mm -hmm. and makes the Michelin and mulatto and all these things. I never know what, who I am. I, I know the N-word, I hated it. As a child, I didn't know why, but I know I didn't like it. And but then when when the movement started and the women came together, so many of us, um, certainly the one who got raised without a black, in a, not in a black family, had no identity. Could they? So, and um, and and um, it was Katerina who said, okay, you know, we are not. I don't like the term mixed, but because I'm not mixed up, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Well, and then dubbed the N word and more and bore and half caste and all these girl things. So we are Afro German, African German, or Black Germans. I said, right, right, because till then German meant to be white. So, but we discovered no, <laughs> German could be anything and also be black, like a black American, black French, black something. So. And uh, so, and with this, I felt, you know, I found more my identity. I'm German, yes, but I'm also black. So. I am German, but I am also black. I just love that quote. Because when I hear it, I can envision two worlds embracing one another with full acceptance. And the idea of people not having to choose which sides of themselves they want to be, but instead accepting and embodying both sides is beautiful. In the clip you also heard about the birth of the terminology Afro-German. 
Names have power and can be used as a great source for unification, which is exactly what happened in this instance. I do, however, think it is incredibly important to state that the acceptance of this term didn't just happen overnight. It was able to flourish due to the hard work of individuals within the movement who envisioned a brighter future and then actually worked to see it into fruition. They took the power of words, which was originally used to tear them down, and instead used them to build themselves as well as their community up. This reminded me a lot of the civil rights movement and how important rhetoric is to a movement. discussion part of this podcast where I'll be able to introduce you to two of my wonderful classmates. So here we go. So first up we have Eileen and now she's going to tell you a little bit more about herself. Hi, I'm Eileen. Um, I'm a first year student at CC and I'm originally from Chaozhou, China and my major is uh, feminist and gender studies. And my name is Lauren Huff. Um, I'm originally from Bend, Oregon. I'm proposing a major in ethnobotany. It's an independently independently designed major. And I'm a rising sophomore at CC. started, I was wondering what thoughts you have surrounding internalized racism and how that looks differently for black Germans versus white Germans, as well as how racism looks different in the U.S. versus Germany, and any thoughts you might have surrounding that. Yeah, I, I think that, like, going off the first part of that question, sort of, like, how is internalized racism different for black and white Germans, um, kind of what Yasmin was saying, uh, was that, was that white Germans themselves have internalized racism, like, Germany is generally a country which considers itself not racist, um, but that, like, deeply within its systems is, like, systemic-rooted racism, um, that she's, like, had to deal with her whole life and other black and Afro-Germans, um, had to deal with, um, but that she also discusses, or she discussed with us sort of the ways that she herself has dealt with internalized racism, just, like, reading or, like, hearing from, like, stories sort of, like, sort of, like, a villainization of black people and how that, like, that sort of narrative had affected the way that she, like, saw herself growing up, um, and just how she, like, didn't have a ton of, like, literature around the experience of being a black person or a black woman, too, in Germany, um, so I think, like, those all sort of play a part. Yeah, absolutely. And she also talked a lot about because her father wasn't in the picture, she didn't have a black role model, which I know a lot of times, um, especially in black communities, a lot of histories are passed down orally and traditions and, you know, what it means to be especially a black woman growing up in certain, you know, environments and societies. And so without that, a lot of times you can feel 
a tad bit disconnected. And also just going back to something you said a little bit earlier about her own experiences and um, how to kind of like racism is a current undertone in Germany. I thought about her experience in school and specifically how like her mother and her siblings as well as herself had to deal with the fact of like special schools, you know, just because they were a different color and not necessarily you know, had developmental issues, they wanted to put them there, and just kind of like her being the only student, and sometimes being the only black children in, you know, the school um, area around them, how that led to several issues. Right, Um, and just going off Lauren's point about um, white Germans, um, the racism, um, it's kind of connecting to um, what we read in Showing Our Color, there's the point about how uh, white German develop this self-consciousness about um, being German means it's only um, being developed this identity only within the white concepts. And um, just going back to uh, Jasmine's narrations on her um, growing up experience and her identity formation that how she, um, like what you said, being in German school and um, standing out with her blackness as being the only um, black kid in the school or in class. And that definitely internalized her identity development as um, the only black child. And um, also uh, she mentioned about how her first impression about the connections um, of being blackness in the United States the only thing that she remembered is about drugs, violence, and um, what is being um, showed as it's connected to um, her black identity. And that's also will probably play into as a part of her internal racism. Yeah, and I love that you brought up that point because it brings um, something that I was thinking about of the powers of like dominant narratives and what they say as well as now in our age, not more specifically back then, but now how big um, media plays a role, especially, you know, on a lot of news and different media outlets, you have these titles that kind of are blatantly towards one side. And I was thinking in her story, all she heard were kind of like these negative things as wondering if like in regards to like if you see racism playing different roles in Germany in the US or if perhaps they have any similarities you can kind of see that there right yeah um just going back to what she said like her first um black book quote um was like only given when she's like way older and start to realize um develop and developing her blackness and her identity yeah um i also just feel like i like don't know enough yet about like racism in germany um but one thing that i think that she mentioned that was really interesting was how different um or how like the difference in prevalence of racism in East versus West Germany before the wall opened um, in 89 mm-hmm. and how like racism was much more like openly okay um, in the West and that when the wall opened, some of those like racist attitudes became like more integrated to, into like the rest of Germany and the rest of Berlin. And I, I don't really know what point I'm making except that I just thought that that was like an interesting 
sort of like shift um just like in in the time of history in Germany um I just like wonder how that plays into Germany's like overall um like it's overall just like narrative about its own racism mm-hmm. for sure Thank you so much for that um, beautiful assignment commentary, Lauren. And um, just kind of transitioning to my second question that has a lot to do with um, kind of the theme of identity and more specifically the power that comes accompanied with names. Because I know that um, Yasmin talked a lot about this in regards to, you know, names that she would hear growing up, like, and as well as what we kind of talked about today in class, how the N-word was, like, it's been banned from vocabulary and they don't want to use it because they see it as such, like, an evil and derogatory term. But we also know throughout time that they have used names as a way to, like, reclaim their own agency as well as, you know, project the future of building their own identities. So I don't know if you had any comments about either negative names and the power those hold as well as, you know, positive ones in those impacts that they have Mm -hmm. um yeah i think like two thoughts sort of came to mind which first is just the name like a defra um to begin with which is like the the name obviously of yasmin's um organization or the organization that she's a part of and i think that we read in the reading that she wrote about how that name came from I can't remember exactly, but a a country in Africa and came from the native language of that country and meant, like, fierce women or women with courage, who hold courage. Um, So I don't really have a point to make with that, except for that I think that's a really beautiful use and reclamation, Mm -hmm. sort of. Um, It's definitely a great empowerment as um, the motive behind this organization. Yeah, absolutely. I also think of um, just how the coinage of the term Afro-German, how long that took to come into existence and the huge impact that it had. And um, I think it was really, what I really appreciate is how she noted that the term didn't just work overnight, that it's something that, you know, took time because, you know, of the society that was inhabited in the work of others who spent a lot of time making sure, like, not forcing people to accept the terminology, but kind of showing, hey, there might be like this better way. And how once Afro-Germans actually had a name to call themselves, because you know, originally German just went white, and a lot of them didn't associate with that said term, that it gave them their own sense of belonging in this society that originally, you know, pushed them out, or they always kind of felt like they didn't belong. And how that one name was able to kind of give them legitimacy. Right, and it, it let them, like, distinguish or give themselves um, a term besides mixed, which she, like, talked about not liking that term. She was like, I'm not mixed up. Right. Um, I don't identify with that. And, yeah, so Afro-German is kind of like the, the term that was reclaimed or created for what you're talking about. Yeah, and I just love the quote that she says, where she says, um... I'm German, yes, but also black, 
because I love the fact that she's addressing, you know, both sides of herself, not just keeping limited to one, which I feel like a lot of times, especially from an outside perspective, people judge a book by their cover, and they try to, you know, place you in a box, but I like the fact that she's saying no, like I'm not choosing one side of myself, but instead I'm embracing both, and I feel like that's incredibly empowering. And also, talking back to uh, Adafra, with the name about um, um, describing the empowerment behind um, a bunch of um, black women gathering into focusing um, on the positive perspective of the name that brings out the courageous, furious aspects of um, their personality. Um, Adafra also created this meeting space uh, for powerful intellectual women and um, from just looking at Jasmine's um, personal experience of how she's meeting this woman and um, decide that um, as a black woman she also has the right to pursue her intellectual power and she decides to go back to university. Um, it also shows a part of uh, um, um, the naming aspects of the empowerment through her experience. Yeah, definitely. Did you have something to say, Lori? Yeah, I mean, it's not like directly pertinent to Yasmin, but I think the like tour we did today with Josie is like a really great example of just how important naming something is, or naming yourself, or naming your or having the chance to rename mm-hmm. an area like Josie was just describing in like great detail um just how all the streets and what's like quote the African quarter of Berlin are named after like these colonized areas of um Africa or just like German colonizers in general um and how there's like such a movement currently and in the past to rename those that area and those streets um, in a way that's like giving direct um, just like directly recognizing um, like German or Afro-Germans who like made great contributions to the country or to I don't know the I'm (laughs) sorry I'm kind of at a loss for words um but I just thought that that was, like, another really powerful point that we learned from today, but also, like, applies to just, like, a lot of what Yasmin was discussing with us, too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I love um, both your insightfulness, but also, Eileen, kind of what you were dabbling a little bit in, just because we are talking about terminology, and you are also talking a little bit about academics, and I know... um. Yasmin and both Heidi were having great um, conversations that day around this about how sometimes, you know, academics are wonderful and that's how this term came to being, but also sometimes it can be used as a tad bit of a hindrance because a lot of times when you get um, academics involved and you kind of forget your roots and more of like the groundwork and the grassroots work, it kind of becomes a barrier. Like you cannot reach the people that you're trying to talk to. Sure. And I wonder if you guys have any, you know, comments, ideas, concerns surrounding that, because I know that definitely did, especially coming, you know, from our positionality and being, you know, CC students and, you know, having the time to, you know, sit in gen classes and, like, do the readings and do the work, but not everybody is that way. So I know a lot of times we're kind of quick to throw around terminology. 
There's definitely two sides in naming um, a specific um, thing or um, um, creating terminology in um, a certain context. But um, I was um, really, I felt um, what Professor Heidi Lewis said in um, the discussion was quite powerful quote that she said um, becoming intellectual and yet cannot go home um, but um, I was also struggling with that idea too um, yeah. yeah absolutely I think that is something to struggle with because you definitely want to strive to do it academically well but um, something that Yasmin said that kind of helped me because I was also a little pondering that she, when she talked about Toni Morrison who like even though a lot of her would you know she's very um, well educated well read um, amazing you know works are out there she's also able to reach people from all likes of life and how that's a skill and how like it's important that you can reach people at all stages of development because we all started at kind of like a base state and just to remember and to that point you know with Heidi saying you know you want to make sure that like once you are educated that you do go back home so that you don't forget your roots so that you don't forget you know mm-hmm. how to be able to talk with your community right because the work's not important if it doesn't help anyone you know if it can't be used help the masses yeah um yeah also uh connecting to jasmine's um idea on um what she view about audrey Moore that she's um up high there but high up there but also um being really down to us and approachable in her work and as a person mm-hmm. yeah so i thought that's something that connected to what you just said about being able to approach backwards and connect with the people yeah I feel like it kind of brings up like a good question about just like Adefra's means of like activism or means of um accessing like people or getting people to like join um in their cause Mm -hmm. and like, I can't remember exactly as well, and I don't think Yasmin, like, maybe directly talked about this as much, but just kind of, um, in the reading, she wrote about how Adefra created different sort of, like, education programs, um, for, like, I think, I think even, like, young girls, possibly, or just, like, people of different ages, and that there was, like, a big focus on publication, um, through the organization, and writing, and, like, classes, um, which I think is really interesting, and I definitely think that Yasmin sort of also emphasized the thread of writing and reading being a really important part of, like, her own self-discovery, um, and her own, like, empowerment as a, as a black woman, um, in Germany, and Berlin, um, And I think that that's, like, interesting when coupled with this idea of, like, academia being so far, or not so far, but being out of reach um, in some ways for people. And, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what to make of that because part of me sort of feels like just knowing, like, from what Yasmin wrote or told us about her experience reading these 
books written by academics like Audre Lorde and um, Katerina and all of those people, um, it still seems like there's such a high level of like in access um, to those texts too. Um, yeah. And, and Dr. Lewis also sort of discussed a romanticization of being an academic or of being able to like exist within academia once you've like become educated and left your like home base that like like I'm I'm not a person well I guess I am in academia I'm being like a CC student I'm not the level of like a professor or the level of someone who's doing or writing like prolific work about a subject so I feel like I don't have a full understanding about like what it is to be a part of academia in that way but like I just thought that that idea of the romanticization of getting to that level I guess was an interesting point that she brought up I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that yeah um I was thinking about um this also connected back to um Professor Lewis's point on um how um, in academia, um, black women are empowered or uh, connected to their fields through um, in the history of other black women and their writing and their work and it passed down. Um, and just connected to Adafra and how um, this organization brings um, really intellectual and powerful women together, but also uh, Jasmine emphasized that um, from all these years, their works always focus on the idea of like being together, just bringing um, different um, black women in different backgrounds to be together, just be present. And um, just like Lauren said about um, what they would do in their sessions of just bring people together, I think through this process, they both connected like um, meaningful and intellectual women to um, women of different level with different intellectual backgrounds um, just to focus on their experience and be present with one another and that's definitely a space for connection absolutely well I just want to thank you both so much this is absolutely wonderful and um, I cannot thank you enough I don't know if anyone has any you know closing remarks or comments but um, if not I'll be the end of the podcast well, thanks. thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that was the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.